We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Day More NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. Coming at you Monday morning. We're in between game four and game five. I've had a couple of the other Wolves writers on since the Timberwolves won game four. Today I have Chris Harrington of the Daily Memphian to kind of get the Memphis perspective on this series. Chris, this is a series with the Grizzlies, where they hope to come in, pound the paint, win the turnover battle, dominate the offensive glass, get out and run. They've done those things all in bits and pieces. Uh, yeah, kind of, sort of. <laughs> maybe not consistently through a game, but how are you just feeling going into game five as to what Memphis has been able to do in this series thus far and what they haven't been able to do? Yeah, I think it's a real open question. You know, obviously you're tied 2-2, and each team is split on its home floor, which is the the definition of even, pretty much. Um, but it's a real question, like, who's actually been the better team through four games? Um, on one From one vantage point, I think Minnesota has controlled three of the four games, even though they ended up losing one of those three. Um, controlled most of those games. On the other hand, you've played 192 minutes, and the Grizzlies have, you know, scored about 25 more points, something like that. I think the underlying fundamentals are kind of in line with what we thought coming into the series. I mean, this was a, this was a, a matchup between a team that is better at making their shots in Minnesota versus a team that's, that gets more shots. It was sort of shot quality versus shot quantity in a way. And, you know, the Grizzlies have, have not pounded the offensive class as much as they did in the regular season, but have certainly been better on the offensive class. Um, they have done a good job at forcing turnovers. They won the turnover differential. They have been getting about five, five or six more shots a game. The shooting percentage overall is pretty even, but the Wolves have shot better from three. The Wolves shot better at the free throw line. Neither of those things is surprising relative to the Grizzlies. And it's it's kind of evened out. I, I think from a Grizzlies perspective, I don't think you feel great, even though you got two of the – it's best two out of three. You got two in your home floor. And I think there's a lot of things we could talk about, but to me, the bright, flashing, neon issue for the Grizzlies right now is that John Morant's not right. <clears throat> he was not right in Minnesota. Um, he looked in the first two games of Memphis. I think combined, he he scored about 55 points on 50% shooting, and in Minnesota, I think it was like 25, something like that. I make 25, 27 points on on like 
like 30% shooting. Right. I have these numbers. I wrote them earlier today and now I can't remember them, but it's something <laughs> like that. Yeah. And to me, that was not about home cooking. Um, it was not really primarily about Minnesota's defense, although I think that sort of that high wall style they play has been pretty effective. I think he's banged up and he finally admitted it after game four. Um, and I think, you know, he, he, he caught that, he caught a shot to the hip off of a pick from Carl Towns late third quarter of game two. Right. He hit the floor. He went to the locker room. He did come back and play a few minutes in the fourth quarter after the game was pretty much decided. But to me, he does not look right physically or did not in games three or four. And if, and if these two days rest don't get him somewhat back to what he was to start the series, I think the Grizzlies are in trouble. They could win. They could lose the series even if they get good job. But if they don't get good job back, I think they're in trouble probably. Yeah, Britt and I were, were talking yesterday kind of about how this is this is shaping out from a Wolves defense perspective or, or a Memphis offense perspective of one of jaw or Bain, right? And, and there's yeah. different factors that go into that, including the high wall, which is literally designed by the Wolves to get the ball out of Jaw's hands, right? And, right. And, and that's why I think in the first half, you've got Jaw not scoring until 30 seconds you know, left in the second quarter and you got Bain, you know, six, seven made threes or whatever it was. And so there's this, there's this thing as we go through game by game where it's kind of one of the two of them game one, obviously Jaws able to get downhill a lot more, maybe because he was, he was healthier in that game. Maybe because Steven Adams was out there setting screens that, you know, cleared a little bit more space for him to be able to split it. But from the Minnesota perspective, not having considered the injury part as much of it, though I've seen, you know, Jaw tweeting about it, those sort of things. I was giving more credit to the Wolves defense getting the ball out of Jaw's hands and and kind of choosing pick your poison right and having it be Bane, but you don't necessarily view it as a pick your poison thing. If Jaw was healthy, they could theoretically be getting both. I th- I think it's a combination of those two. I, I think I think I think if Jaw is hundred percent healthy. He's attacking that defense. Period. Yeah. You saw in game one and two. He's just attacking. And I think now he's not healthy enough. He doesn't feel as comfortable attacking it. Um, and so it's I think it's a combination of a good defensive strategy and a player who's a little limited physically. And you put those two things together, and that and that's sort of what you get. And you know, game three, even when, when the Grizzlies were making that comeback or slash Minnesota collapse, however you want to frame it. <laughs> I, I was sitting to my colleague, Drew Hill, and even amidst that, we're looking at each other saying, should they take Jai out? Should they just close the ties? Because he he was just stumbling through that fourth quarter, even while the Grizzlies were making their comeback. And then in game four, in the second half, he almost became a decoy. I've never seen them run so much stuff not through John Morant with John Morant on the floor as they were doing in the second half of that game. And I think it's a guy who had lost his burst and then was facing two guys in front of him. And that it's it's the combination of the two. I, so I want to I want to credit Wolves defense and also acknowledge that I don't think Ja Ja is totally right right now. I think it's I think it's the it's, it's a compound effect of both. Well, and we could kind of throw a third thing into the mix here too, where he's being asked to do Ja's being asked to do a little bit more defensively than yep. than he might normally. With Patrick Beverly's really taking it, whether he's seen blood in the water of an injury or slower jaw, or just he thinks that's a matchup he can win. I mean, that's really changed since they came back games three and four once they came back to minnesota was beverly just being like well i, I can get a step on him and, and get to so, the basket so was that a chris finch adjustment or a patrick beverly adjustment that was a patrick beverly's trainer adjustment 
according to Patrick Beverly. Yeah, who suggested that to him that this is, you know, a one-on-one isolation. Then this is what Pat told us after right. after game 3 when actually it was Britt who was who asked him about that and I mean just to th- maybe for if there's Memphis listeners like popping in on this too, like Pat has kind of done that all year. You know, he had this and in my mind as well with you know, you're getting Patrick Beverly from the Clippers. You think, okay, pesky defender. Hopefully he's also going to make 40% of his corner threes. But there's really been space in the Wolves offense all season for him to be a playmaker. And it's not one of those things where Ant or D'Lo or whoever cringe when Pat puts his head down. I mean, it certainly hasn't been the, like the usage volume that these last two games against Jaw have been. But to some extent... Them, obviously, there it sounds like there's probably some injury there too. But I think Pat's done a good job of kind of grinding Jaw down to some extent there as well. Well, I will tell you, Jaw Jaw Morant's defense can be hard to hide. Yeah. Um. And you know, la- last year in the series against the Utah, and Utah had the best offense in the NBA last season. Mm-hmm. So I mean, they were they were and the Grizzlies gave them lots of targets. Like they they were hunting out Jaw Morant, they were hunting out Jonas Valanciunas, they were hunting out Grayson Allen, and they were just destroying. Anything they could involve two of those three guys, like it, it was, it was lights out pretty much. But Ja, Ja is someone who, for for good reason, both because of the burden he carries on offense and because of his defensive deficiencies, you obviously you want to try to hide him on a lesser offensive player. But even the lesser offensive players can't exploit John Moran defense. And not to take anything away from Patrick Beverly, who you know, there are worse offensive players in the NBA than Patrick Beverly, but the the Grizzlies would, you know, you put Ja on him for a reason. He can still he's still capable of exploiting that, and I think whether that who whether it's it was Beverly or Finch or Beverly's trainer, like whoever, I I think it was a smart adjustment. I I think that is that is something that can that obviously was exploited, but certainly can be exploited. Chris, I think they should put Jaw on D'Lo next game. I think I think interesting. What's what, what's your theory on that? Slower. I think you know not. I mean, D'Lo's in a vacuum a better isolation player, right? Than than Pat is, but I think. I think with Pat, he's still pretty quick. Like you see him getting that step on Jaw. So when he, yeah, right. So so once he has that step on him, and he kind of, you know, Pat kind of comes with that one-two in the lane and like hits you with it, right? He's he's not going to try and go up and finish over you. And I think if he's got a step on Jaw speed wise plus the physicality, like that's where you're seeing a little profit for for the Wolves. Like that's not what Delo's going to try and do. Like in a situation against Jaw, he's going to try and use his length. I think to go over job, but he doesn't have the speed advantage. And if he has a physicality advantage, it's slim there. So I don't know. It could be one of those situations where now, Oh, do we accidentally like light the spark to have a 30 point D game? Cause that wouldn't be good from the Memphis perspective. But- well, and the, Gri- the Grizzlies saw a lot of that in the regular season. I, I think True. M- m- maybe the Grizzlies are overly spooked by what D'Angelo Russell did on them in the regular season. But, you know, they put their best defender, Dylan Brooks, to start games mostly on D'Angelo Russell. Yeah. And they have effectively, I don't want to say taken him out of the series, so they've certainly lessened what Russell was against the Grizzlies in the regular season. For sure. Um, Dylan Brooks can only guard one guy at a time, though, and the Wolves got D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards, so it's a little bit of a, you know, conundrum there. And there's a lot of debate about who, you know, you would prefer to put your best defender on. And that obviously Edwards is the better player, but Russell has hurt them so much in the regular season. Um, so yeah, I mean, and that, that's one of the problems with the Wolves, right? They were, they were the highest scoring team in terms of pure points in, in the NBA this season. And they were, I don't know where they finished off. they were certainly top 10, right? Yeah. Offense. 
Uh, they're a good offensive team and then maybe a better one in some ways. I mean, the stats may not say that because the way they play basketball works, but maybe a more deadly one in the playoffs when you you ramp up more minutes because they're a little top-heavy with their, their offense yep. in terms of their star players. And then you ramp up those minutes and those touches with those players, I think maybe even a more dangerous offensive team in the playoffs. And so, you know, it hasn't been easy for the Grizzlies to deal with. They have held them. The weird thing in the series is the erratic nature of it. The Grizzlies have held that team that led the NBA and, 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 you know, points per game this season under a hundred points in both the wins. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been 95 points for the wolves on average in the two losses for the wolves. It's been 125 in the two wins. Like it's really, you know, it, it's really been erratic, you know, in that standpoint. That's been, and that's been the wolves offense all years. Like in the aggregate, it kind of shows up in the green, but it's, it's, they've been in a rat. This is an erratic series. As you say, it's been an erratic offensive season too, but at, January first on, they the Wolves were the number one offense in in the yeah. NBA. So there's there's something there. Chris, I'm gonna grab a quick break here. We'll come back. Let's talk about the uh, the cat and front court matchups. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we are back with Chris Harrington of the Daily Memphian columnist there. Chris, we, we talked about Ja and just kind of how this series has has shaken out in the first four games outside of the Ja Bain sort of dynamic there of what Memphis is creating offensively. I found the front court adjustments, readjustments, and more adjustments that are probably going to come on the Memphis side to be really, to be really fascinating. We've kind of moved through the Steven Adams experience, though I wonder if that might kind of come back here at some point. The thing that's really standing out to me, Chris, is it feels like Memphis has got to get to that Jaron Jackson Jr. and Clark front court pairing a lot more. I mean, that has what the type of defenders who have worked against Cat this year, and we've only seen it for 54 minutes in the series. So I think the, the adjustment away from Steven Adams has certainly helped the Grizzlies' defense in this series. You could argue it's hurt their half-court offense. Um, I think the trade-off has been more than worth it. I think it was a necessary adjustment that remains a necessary adjustment. But since then, they've just, they're just constantly searching on these front-court combinations. And I think the fact that they're still searching is not, does not lend a lot, of, a lot of confidence to me to the Grizzlies. I thought it was a curious decision by Taylor Jenkins to start um, Tillman in game four. I think it totally. ended up being the wrong, ended up being the wrong decision to start Tillman. Um, I, and I don't really, I don't know what they're going to do. I'm the, the Grizzlies practice later today and maybe he'll tip us off. He usually does not what they're going to do. 
to me, their best lineup is with Clark. Their best lineup this series, and maybe just their best lineup, is John Morant, Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, Brandon Clark, Jaron Jackson Jr. And they played that lineup 20-something minutes in the series, and their net rating is like plus 30-something. That's their best lineup. Um, now, the, line, that, the lineup with Kyle Anderson instead of Clark has also been good. And so to me, I don't, I don't care that much on the starters, Clark versus Anderson, but I think it has to be one of those two. Yep. And I think whichever one it's not has to play heavy minutes, has to be – to me, you got 96 minutes in a front court rotation for two spots. You should be given all of them, if you can, to Jaron Jackson Jr., Brandon Clark, and Kyle Anderson. And you should be able to use all 96 minutes for those three players unless two of them actually foul out of the game. <laughs> right. Um, and which might and happen. To me, that's what they should, which might happen. <laughs> but to me, that's what they should be trying to do. And if you need to spot somebody, spot Tillman. But Tillman was great in game two when he made his unexpected appearance. He was not good in the Minnesota games, the Grizzlies were not good with him on the floor in those games. And I think they got to tighten it. I think the Grizzlies, now that it's down to three games, they have got to, they should tighten their rotation. And it's pretty clear in the front court. That's Jaron Jackson, Jr. Brandon Clark, Kyle Anderson. And all three of those combinations work. Um, the Jaron Clark's probably the best of the three, but they all, all the, all the combinations work among those three players. And they should just run with that for 96 minutes. It's to me what they should do. I don't think they're going to do that, but that's, that would be my recommendation. Well, we were talking in Memphis after game two and we were both or kind of going into game two and after game two where we're like, oh, I think Anderson is the option here. Right. And from the Wolves. Yeah, a, a lot of attentive media people on both sides and in national too. someone I talked to who doesn't not Minnesota or Memphis. We're sort of on the Anderson idea before it happened. Yeah. The thing is, I, I was definitely because I mean, I've been saying the best thing to clip like the Wolves have faced all year is what the Clippers were able to do that Batum sort of. Six nine, lengthy, but also a little bit physical type of four on cat with a big lurking behind him. That's been the best thing. So I thought that's what Anderson was, but I kind of changed my tune on that after game three, because when Anderson started, while I think that you know they effectively doubled and they got the ball out of Cat's hands. That's the game. Cat only shoots four shots, but on the other side of the ball, now Anderson's got to guard D'Lo. And and D'Lo was not or and, and has not had success really throughout this series unless Anderson's been on him. Or you can just kind of like sense more of a comfort and confidence in what and what he's doing offensively. So I've kind of like I, I'm with you. You still got to do Anderson some. But but to me, it looks like the pecking order is clearly Jackson Jr. and Clark as the best one. Then yep. probably Jackson Jr. and Anderson, and then probably Clark and Anderson for yeah that, I, that I sort agree. of order. I think I Adams agree. is going to play, Chris. I think I think that's a a comeback. Convince me I'm wrong. Well, I mean, he he they played him for five minutes in Game Four. It did not go well, but like a lot of stuff was not going well. Um, what about that first possession though? Two offensive rebounds as soon as he checks into the game. Yeah. And Cat starts needing to box out way more aggressively there. I am not – I don't think they're going to start Adams. I just think – I think you're too far down the road of what you've seen. But when I'm talking about, you know, needing to play a fourth big for some spot, it, it's not clear to me that Tillman is a better option than Anderson for that. Um, and so I I would have no quarrel if, Till, if Adams played over Tillman again, mm-hmm. as long as, you know, it's more, you know, that 10-minute range or whatever. But I really think they should they should go as hard as they can to 
for Jackson Clark Anderson to, to soak up those minutes. Yeah, I, I think it probably ties back to what we were talking about with the how healthy is Ja or not, because if Ja is healthy, then he should be able you should be looking to try and get him downhill as often as you can. And the best way that Memphis did that, or correct me if I'm wrong, best way Memphis did that this season is by using Adams as that screener. And that just clears a lot more space for Ja to kind of, you know, do his sort of disappearing act through the, you know, splitting the pick and rolls and in that sort of way. And, and then you got Adams rumbling behind him to clean it up. Yes. If he misses, right. That, that, that was that, that was the core sort of fulcrum of the Grizzlies half court offense this season is Adams sets a pick for Ja. Adams rumbles behind Ja and Ja led the league in points in the paint. Adams led the league in offensive rebounding. Yeah. Like that, that was sort of the core function. Yeah. And, and Carl Anthony Towns in particular and the, the difficulty in defending him sort of knocked that core function out of the Grizzlies offense. It, it would be risky, I think, at this point to try to c- completely reclaim it. It would be bold, though. I, see, okay, 20 free throws for Ja in game one. When you are playing Adams out there, Ja is getting downhill. And for one reason or another, Cat wasn't the one fouling Ja on those drives to the basket. It was often like Jade McDaniels, you know, coming for the rear view right. contest, Pat Bev, whatever it is. But at the same time, when Ja is splitting those pick and rolls, it puts Carl in that retreat mode rather than wall mode. And not in game one, but broadly speaking, when Cat is has to move backwards to defend the rim while also kind of like playing that cat and mouse game of contesting it, that's where he fouls more than ever, where he just the, the going back there. So I think that's if you're a goal for me, if I was going up against the Wolves is like how many situations can we put Cat in to be volatile emotionally, potentially picking up fouls? And I think getting Jaw to go at him more, even though that didn't draw fouls in game one, it's just another one of those reasons where I'm like, I think there's not as many options in the Memphis front court as we thought there were a few days ago. And Adams is clearly a flawed option defensively on Cat, but I don't know why you can't use him as a screener on offense and then use him on Vanderbilt on defense. Like, Part of the reason Adams got played off the floor was because he was, he was running on Jared, cat. You're worried about Jerry Jack, Jared Jackson Jr.'s foul trouble, yeah. which is all goes back off to that. the charts in this series. I was looking at this today. So Jared Jackson Jr.'s foul rate, like fouls per 100 possessions. It was 7.2 a rookie year, which is bad. Down to 6.7 a second year, bad but better. Down to 6.1 regular season this year, still bad, but like it's a constant, it's a, you know, trajectory downward. This series is 9.9. It's just zoomed like deep, deep, deep into the red this series. Um, 20, I don't know where 20 you fouls, are. 14 made shots, right? Isn't that what it is? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Um, I don't know where you are in the foul stuff. I mean, Taylor Jenkins like went off on the refs, obviously, after game four. I tweeted that out just as a – I was sitting in the room. I tweeted Jenkins colon and the quote because it was yeah. newsworthy. And, of course, I have people trying to argue with me, and you know, like, <laughs> like I'm expressing an opinion on this. I was right, just like, right. this is what the man said. I do think, I think, I think the Grizzlies could like rightly complain that they were wronged in, in game four. I think the Wolves could go back and look at games one through three. The Wolves, the Wolves have, have been called for more fouls in the series. The Grizzlies have shot more free throws. I do think there's something to, I think there've been too many whistles in this series to the detriment of the basketball. 100%. Um, I, I, just too many offensive foul calls. 
I mean, the series and the sequence, the, there's a 30-second sequence in game three where they called three offensive fouls in 26 seconds, two on Bain and one on Russell, yeah. and they were all bad calls. <laughs> I just these, I just think these refs got to chill out. Just, just like, you know, swallow the whistle a little bit more for both teams. I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah, I don't think it's been good both ways. But what I will say is, like, this is what the like ref behavior has been around the wolves all year, which I think yeah. has to do with the way the wolves play. And and kind of in, in many ways, the wolves and grizzlies play similarly, where it is all about, you know, selling out in passing lanes, right? To generate turnovers and do all those sort of it just lends to a little bit more like chaotic physical brand of basketball that I I just think back to the four regular season games these two teams played we were going over the monitor four or five times for reviews and that those games too so i'm just right i'm not saying it's been good i think it's been you know bad both ways you know probably particularly egregious in memphis's you know tilt the get in game four but like i I just it strikes me as something that is going to you know happen throughout the it's the same thing what everyone's like oh man like what do you think about Carl's foul trouble? Or how about Jaron Jackson Jr.? He just keeps getting foul trouble every game. I'm like, they guys, a lot. we watch, come on, man. We've <laughs> right. been watching. You yeah. just rattled off the numbers for Jackson Jr.'s whole career. Cats led the league in fouls multiple times. Jackson right. Jr., Brooks have been up there their whole careers. It's like, this is how these it, teams play. So this is well, what's going to happen. And Dylan Brooks, as I mentioned, you in Minnesota, yeah. also led the league in total fouls twice. So I think Cat has the belt <laughs> twice. Dylan has the belt twice. Belt twi- I'm has not sure it. who has the belt this year. I don't think J- did no, Jared have the belt this year. No, it's Jay Sean Tate one, uh, okay. Jaron Jackson Jr. two, Cat three in in total All fouls right. this year. Your, your per per 100 possession stat is better, but right when you just like pull up total fouls and it's every year you could just see those three in there. I, I don't know. So yes, this is like the refs are a factor in this, but it's. The players play a certain, you know, style of basketball. Memphis and Minnesota do, too, that I just think one of the two teams is going to feel aggrieved by by the refs after every one of these games. Right. Um, all right. The The one other thing I wanted to ask you about was just D'Lo in general. We kind of we kind of hit on him there, but. He sort of, to me, has felt like something in between the combination of Jaron Jackson Jr. and Steven Adams in this series, but on the other side of the ball, where like, you know, Adams, it made sense to not play him. And at times it felt like that with D'Lo, but it's kind of like Jaron Jackson Jr., where he's such an important part of what they do throughout the season, where it seems about like, is D'Lo feeling like a threat from the Memphis perspective or an advantage thus far? Um, I, I think he, he sort of, um, he sort of faded a little bit from, I mean, I think there's so much focus on pounds and on Edwards and I don't think Russell has sort of forced the Grizzlies to pay, to pay attention to him as much maybe as, as you might expect. And so I, I certainly, if I'm the Grizzlies, I don't love this being a two, two series with the series that the D'Angelo Russell has had. Right. Um, I, and so in that way, I would say more of a threat in the sense that he may not, what is he like 13 points a game, something like that in the series. Yeah, I, th- that great. may not, they, that may not be the case these next three games. Um, and so I would, I would worry about that a little bit from a Memphis perspective. Okay. One more for you. 
has Brandon Clark like ever been just stopped on the offensive glass? Has there been like games this season where you're like, oh, this team took Brandon Clark out of the mix? And if so, how did they do that? Because the Wolves need that very much. It's been a huge bounce back season for Brandon Clark. I mean, he he was he had a great rookie year. He was banged up. He's someone who has to be like. Uh, it seems to me he has to be 100% physically to mm. really be himself. Vanderbilt's like so, that too, kind of. Yeah, he is so dependent on that 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 sort of rocket boost off the floor because he's only like 6'8". He's got short arms, but he is just so quick off the floor and has such good touch, not only around the rim, but with his floater. Um, but he has to be just right physically. And last season, year two, he was never quite right physically. And he, played, he only played like six minutes in the oh. Jazz series. He just faded completely. And he, he came all the way back this year. If he didn't lead the league in field goal percentage, he was close to it. Um, he is deadly. He's a deadly finisher and a really active offensive rebounder um, on the interior. Um, I think this has been a good matchup for him. Um, you know, other than Towns, the Wolves are not big in the front court. Um, they don't have a lot of rim protection, you know, period, right. in the front court. And this is a really good series for Brandon Clark. I don't know that Clark could be this effective all the, you know, against anybody. But I think this is in particular a good matchup for Brandon Clark. It's, I mean, we, there's guys like Brandon Clark, uh, Dwight Powell, I would put in this bin too, that just kill the wolves. And it's that same archetype of guy who's just sort of relentlessly trying to put pressure on the rim as, you know, a role threat, as an offensive rebounding threat but also like in sort of a different way than Steven Adams might do because on the other yeah. side of the floor, there's just a little bit more athletic fluidity and it allows you to be able to guard towns and those sort of things. But Clark is really feeling like as the opponent, you know, looking at it from the other side, I just go like, I, I don't, I don't know. It's not really like you can't really design counter actions to a guy who's good at offensive rebounding, right? Like there isn't, right. there isn't a, a scheme thing like they just have to hit him first on the on the glass to you know try and keep him off but like you said the wolves don't really have the physicality for that and that's why i also go back to like the adams and clark man if if cat has to be boxing adams then now you got mcdaniels or vanderbilt on clark like i think you lean into the the offensive rebounding a little bit more if you're memphis you know about adams and clark together yeah I mean, the numbers on that are pretty good. They haven't done a lot of it because I just don't think they trust it offensively. Yeah. They are both non-shooters, like True. outside of 10 feet for the most part. I don't think they really trust that. Um, that would be doubling down on, on, on the offensive rebounding. But Clark and Sharon Jackson, Jared Jackson obviously has had a bad series offensively and with his fouls. I think he's been good defensively, but a bad series offensively and with his fouls. But Jackson and Clark fit. Like, it just yeah. fits. They, they work together on both ends of the floor. And – you know, there's a chance that's the Grizzlies starting lineup next season. It could be. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, should be I, I tomorrow. Suspect, well, they, they played, you know, we talked about the, the, the full lineup with Clark and Jackson, but setting aside the other positions, they played 55 minutes total of Clark and Jackson together in the series. Mm -hmm. And they've been about the same. They've been about a plus 30 net rating. And yep. the defense, the defense has been great with those yeah. two guys on the floor. 86.7. So yeah. 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 So they need, to your point, I mean, they need to lean in hard. Yeah to get in those guys as many minutes as they can the rest of the way the Grizzlies do. Yeah, and I just, I don't know what the Wolves' counter to that is outside of, you know, try and play more possessions, try to play more physical, just so you're hoping that those two guys get in foul trouble.
yet again, or at least one of one of the two of them does. All right, Chris. Um, just last thing, what do you think? <laughs> what what's what's this going to be? What's going to happen these last three? I really think the I really think the um the tipping point here is John Morant's health. I really do. I I think I think if he can get back to his normal self. I favor the Grizzlies with two or three games at home. I don't necessarily strongly favor them. I think the series has shown that these teams are pretty even. Yeah. Um, but I would I would give Memphis the edge if they get healthy John Morant. And if they don't get healthy John Morant, then I got to give Minnesota the edge. Um, and so I don't know, man. I think I think it's, I think it's I think it's it's a, it's a really tough series. Has has Minnesota been more than you expected them to be? Yeah. Yeah. I think they have a little bit. I mean, obviously, you know, they're the seventh seed. They, they, they were much better than the team that came into the playoffs. You know, you look at what they were post-All-Star break was better than that. They, they, these teams were second and fourth in the league in point differential post-All-Star break. So this is not a typical mm-hmm. like two seven. I think there was, there was some concern on the Memphis side that is this team as good of a playoff team as it was a regular season team? Yeah. There was real reason to wonder about legitimate reasons to wonder about that. And I think four games in there are even more legitimate reasons to wonder about that, not to take anything away from Minnesota, but it may have been that the Grizzlies were not the typical two seed. In fact, if you go back historically and look at, you know, wins for uh, not only two seed in the West, but they were two seed in the whole NBA. You go back historically and look at, you know, the, the, the point differentials and the win totals for second overall teams, the Grizzlies are not your typical profile of the second best team in the league, right? It's been that kind of year in the NBA. So it may be that the Grizzlies are not your typical from a not, not as good as your typical second best team in the league record wise. And the Wolves are maybe better than your typical seven yeah. seed in the conference. And what you found is a two teams that are much, much closer to each other than the regular season resumes suggest. I think that's what we've definitely seen through the first four games and which leaves us sort of thinking this isn't too much of a talent discrepancy one way or the other favoring them. I think and what is I sort of frustrating to be able to pour analysis into is I think so much of this series is about between the ear stuff, which you or I can't, you know, we, we can't dig in on that. You know, I, and we can ask Carl or jaw or whoever what's, you know, how they're approaching this and foul trouble and that, but, it's I mean, it, it was notable. I found it notable how much the Wolves, and obviously infamously so in game three, they held on in game four, but they really struggled to close out games yeah. in the fourth quarters, you know, in their own building with leads going into fourth quarters. And the Grizzlies roared back. And, you know, if Ty- Tyus Jones has a wide open three with 10 seconds to go, that would have tied that game. In a, uh, in a building, he's hit a lot of those in. He, yeah, I mean, pride of of, shout out, shout out Apple Valley High School. Tyus <laughs> Jones had the wide open shot and just couldn't knock it down. Yeah. Well, Chris, I think this has been uh, a really fun series. I've uh, enjoyed getting to know you during it and just being able to yeah. talk about it over these uh, media meals and, and all that. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm like kind of going, it's going to be seven. I'll, I'll say I'm going to say wolves and seven, but without much confidence in that, uh, I, I think I think both teams, it's just very good that we're going to get a long series and, and a good amount of playoff experience here well if we're, we're making predictions I, I i'll i'll play the role and do an equally not very confident um grizzlies <laughs> and seven how about that deal deal all right he's uh he's chris harrington uh you can follow what he's doing on this uh wolves grizzlies series at the daily memphian him and his colleagues do do great work there thanks chris and i will i'm heading to memphis here in a couple hours i'll uh i'll yeah. see you tomorrow 
All right, good morning. All right. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah.